In Ephesians chapter 5, I'd like to just look at a few verses we've read before, but we want to look at in our study this morning. We're continuing to look at what it is to be a workman, walking in faith and understanding the battles that we contend with. So in Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 15, it says, See then that you walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Verse 17, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalm and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Father, we again bring this time and this Bible study to you in prayer. We have your word, and we know, God, it does not return void. We've been encouraged this week as as men who want to grow in faith, women that want to grow in faith. Open our hearts up. Help us take in what you have for us now, and help us by your grace live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Again, in your bulletin, if you take this handout sheet, it might be helpful, and I think it could be helpful outside of this study. In the video presentation, we saw the question, what will it take? And the answer, many times, it may take your life. Are you willing to give your life for Christ? Are you willing to give your life for another? In our study in Ephesians, it's just part of what is called a discipleship living series. What does that mean? It means we started in Galatians and we're going through the next 10 books ending in Philemon. It's a study that started in January. It will end at the end of May. It's a study that we have supplemented with daily Bible studies that come directly to your email. Those Bible studies take into consideration 5 to 10 verses with some encouraging words and thoughtful application, right? We'd encourage you to sign up for that. We have about 185 people now that are receiving these on a daily basis. What that means is a fellowship, we're grateful for those in our fellowship and outside of our fellowship that are receiving God's word and are being built up with it. This morning, as we're continuing our study through Ephesians, again, you get a daily Bible study. And then about every three or four days, there's an audio study. So today, and then it's on our website, or you can have it through a podcast received directly to you automatically. These are things that we're using to build up the body of Christ. So there's a daily Bible study you receive and an audio teaching about every three or four days as we're going through the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by... Okay. So, therefore, in our teaching this morning and every time we get together, we want to know, God... What do you have to say to us from your word? So to review here on your handout sheet, you'll see there's six chapters, which are all of Ephesians. There's still another study in Ephesians, but just for review, the first three chapters of Ephesians speak about our position in Christ. And then the last three about our responsibility as a believer. Okay? 
So the first three chapters, I think that there is a real pivotal verse. In the first three chapters, I find the pivotal verse is in chapter 2, and in chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10, in those verses, I find them to be pivotal in those first three chapters. In Ephesians chapter 2, and in verse 8, the Bible says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So verses 8, 9, and 10 that we just read, God is saying, I have a position for you in this world. I'm going to call you my workmen or my workers or ambassadors or servants or a child of God. There's a variety of names. But we're going to take off on this idea of being a workman. Men or women were workmen for God and for his kingdom. Now, in order to be able to work for our Lord, we have to be saved. And in this relationship that we have with him, with the Lord, we look to chapter 1 and see what he accomplished. In chapter 1, we realize that all the spiritual blessings in Christ are ours. Now, let me use an illustration. We talked about it this week with the men. So let's just say, hypothetically, there was an account that you have. You have a bank account. Let's say in this particular bank account, unbeknownst to you, there is $100,000 that's literal, legitimate, good money. Tax has already been paid on it. It's yours. $100,000. You say, amen, pastor. Preach it. We're talking now. Come on. Is this a prophecy? (laughs) So that $100,000 is yours. And as any believer receiving that, I would hope... We would say, thank you, Lord. Wow, what a tremendous blessing. And we would ask as maturing believers, Lord, for what purpose is this? Lord, how would you want me to use this? What's the reason for this? We'd be seeking the Lord and we'd be seeking his stewardship with that. And you would be seeing ways that God would want you to distribute that money, maybe to pay off some debt. Maybe to buy some food. I don't know. There's just a number of things. And then also, how also would he want you to share that? And it would be exciting. Would it not be exciting? I think it would be really exciting just to think about what do you have in mind? Who else can we encourage? What might you want to start that needs to be started that just looking for some funds to do that? What missionary might need some encouragement? Just, it's exciting thinking about that, isn't it? Okay. As you're thinking about that. The scriptures in Ephesians 1, when we're looking at this, the Lord is saying, in your personal account, the Lord is saying, I am depositing the richness of Jesus Christ into your account. And you can withdraw that every day, and it is filled up again. It's endless. The riches of Christ are ours. What Christ has, they're ours. We possess them. I know it's hard for us to get our mind around that. It was so easy to get it around that $100,000. <laughs> he understood that. But using that illustration that there's a spiritual richness that we have in Christ, and when we're looking at that pivotal verse, being those workmen, we must go back and realize, I can't do anything without God. 
And God is providing himself and the resources. He redeemed us. He saved us. He adopted us. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit. We have access to him and the availability that he wants to provide for us. And in chapter 2, that's what it talks about. And then in chapter 3, there is this mystery. The church was not known until after the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, the day of Pentecost. And then we received our work orders. And the work orders is this. The, God has a mission for the world. And God wants the mission, the mission of the world is to see the world reached for Jesus Christ. And as we're reached for Jesus Christ and we come together, it's called the church or the called out ones. That's what the church means, called out ones. And notice in chapter 3 at the very end, it says to us in verse 20, that's 320. It says, now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So as we saw this presentation today, we see God is working all around the world. We just happen to capture one specific one for us today. In our correspondence, I spoke to one of our missionaries. He's in China, actually on the Internet today, back and forth, early this morning. And what he had in his letter, it's very interesting. Did we just read Ephesians 3.20? That's what he has right here. In his letter, that's the verse that he has that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. That's his verse. So where we're at right now... This particular verse is being used by a missionary in China who is being confronted by the government in the Tibetan area, and they're under great, you know, the the oversight of that and and the working of that. It's very difficult for them. They have a mission, and the mission is to get the word of God out. So the workmen that we're studying here, Right here in Bellingham, it's the work that's going on in China by somebody we really know. It's the first couple I married in Bellingham, uh, officiated. They married each other. I just officiated. And uh, (laughs) what they're looking at is he said by next year this time, they hope to have the whole New Testament ready to be printed in that specific dialect. Isn't that awesome? So what does that mean? What it means when we go back and we're looking at our notes about being the workmen and we're going to look at the walk, but before we get there, we're just again being strengthened on what does the word of God say? How do I fit in the world? You fit beautifully. You fit beautifully. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it tells us that he has work for us to do. And how exciting is that? And as we have said many times in Ephesians chapter 1, And in verse 4, he says, it shows us in him before the foundations of the world. And I repeat that so often, I know. But before Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God made, before that verse, Genesis 1-1, he already chose you in him. That's our God. That's the God that we serve. Now, and another, and again, the things that I'm sharing are things that are just this week. These are just missionaries this week, okay? that we're corresponding with, supporting, helping, praying with. There's 20 other pastors and missionaries I'm communicating with, just in, you know, encouraging. These are brothers and sisters that are out there. This has to do with 
the ministry in North Korea. This particular ministry called Open Doors, they have a watch list for the most persecuted places, according to them. It's called the World Watch. North Korea is one. Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, Somalia, Iran, Uzbekistan, Yemen, Iraq, uh, uh, Iraq, Pakistan. You notice something common religiously with all those places? Let me read to you in North Korea. What we're doing is we're looking at Ephesians. We're talking about our walk. We realize that we're here in Whatcom County. Does this word of God, is it for us? Is it for the world? The answer is yes. It says, for the 10th year in a row, row, North Korea sits at the top of the World Watch list, which ranks the world's most persecuted Christians. And it's little wonder. To be a Christian, listen up, in North Korea is to risk death daily. An estimated 400,000 believers live in fear, keeping their faith secret. Even possessing a Bible is enough to get you executed or imprisoned for life with your entire family. Another 50 to 70,000 Christians languish inside North Korea's notorious labor camps, places of unimaginable suffering and depravity. One believer described the camps as hell on earth. These are our brothers and sisters that do not have the privilege that we have this morning of being able to meet like this and talk about this. So in China, in the Tibetan region, they're trying to translate this word of God into a dialect they understand to get the gospel out, but they're under governmental scrutiny. We know them. In North Korea and the other places, similar things are taking place. When we're looking at our handout sheet and we're seeing this is the mystery The mission is to reach the world for Jesus Christ, and he's going to give us that exceeding power to do that. We saw in chapter 4 in our study, in those yellow highlighted parts of the outline, those are just the things that we're going to look at briefly, quickly, but they're important. So a walk worthy, what does that mean? That means that If we turn in chapter 4 of Ephesians to verse 12, it means that us as believers are being brought together for a specific purpose, and that is for the equipping of the saints. So every believer is called a saint. Why? For the work of the ministry and for the edifying, or what that might be more helpful, for the building up of the body of Christ. This is God's work. So God has a worldwide mission work. Christ died on the cross, rose again from the dead, day of Pentecost, gospels preached, people are saved by the thousands, and this group of people saved is called the church. It was a mystery. It wasn't known. And then the orders for the church is to go in all the world and to make disciples. So that's what we're doing here. We have discipleship living. That's what we do. We're making disciples. We believe that God wants to save people and then people to become equipped. That is, God gives the gifts. The church builds us up by the word of God 
in practically trying to help people move in a faith-filled, spirit-filled direction to realize that my life is not my own. I'm here to serve God. I'm here to live for God. The illustration I concluded last week's message with had to do with this particular ministry, far-reaching. And again, they have spoken here at this church in the past. But again, to recount what I said at the end of last week's message, as they're commissioning these men to go out, he says, we're not all meant to live to be 50 to 70 or 80 years old. The leader, Wes Bentley, in the commissioning ceremony says, your breath is in the hand of Christ. He will make you... Uh, sure that you finish your race, set your face like a flint and never be moved. And it said regarding these two men, Daniel and Patrick, they understood the cost of following Christ. They served for nearly 10 years as a demonstration of the power and sufficiency of God's Holy Spirit. Stopping right there. Have we not looked this morning at the sufficiency and the power of the Holy Spirit to work within our lives, right? So what I'm saying is as we're looking at this, we're getting a view this morning, not only of our own world, but we're getting a view of how God is working around the world. He wants to save the prodigals in your family, in your life. He wants to save the runaway believers that need to come back to Christ. We saw that. He wants us as parents to be alert, to be able to realize for a year and a half, in, in that household, unbeknownst, that darkness that was going on, we need God's help. We fight a vicious battle. Continuing on, as he said, the sufficiency of God's Holy Spirit, with relinquished hearts and resolved minds, these men set their eyes on the high calling of Christ and never looked back. I remember their faces and smiles. I am honored to serve amongst such men of faith. I know that one day when I make my journey to heaven, I will recognize them in the kingdom of God. I look forward to greeting my brothers and throwing my arms around them and resting in the knowledge that we will never be separated again. My prayer is that all the chaplains will sit at the same table and reminisce over all the amazing miracles that we saw as we poured our lives out for the King of Kings. Do you have that in your heart? Do you have that desire, that vision? See, when we begin to go through this, all of a sudden it begins to make sense as far as God and his work and our place and his purposes. So we want to be equipped. But again, we need to be forgiven, forgiving. Look in Ephesians 4. Now, we read that scripture this morning in our opening section. But I want to, again, reiterate regarding this particular scripture. It says in verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. I will be bold enough to say this because it's the conviction of my heart. But if there is the lack of experiencing the empowerment of God's Holy Spirit in your life, I would say that there is either unforgiveness in your heart towards someone else or there's constant sin in your life that you're not willing to let go of. I would say if you're not experiencing this empowering, this sense of, yes, 
I get it. I understand the vision. I know my purpose. I'm a part of this work in ministry. I'm a part of God's work on earth. I am excited. I'm given over to that. If there is a reluctancy in moving ahead, then you're enjoying your sin too much. And there's probably unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart. Because those are the things that grieve the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is grieved, there's not that opportunity for God to work his work out because he's not going to be glorified because whatever happens is just going to be a work of self and not a work of the Spirit. Do you understand? And Jesus came to save us, not to condemn us and to set us free. And this is where, if we're going to grow up, we have to face these truths, these realities. Now, verse chapter 5, verse 1 through uh, 7, you notice in your handout, we're going to walk worthy, how? By being equipped and being men and women that forgive readily others. We do not carry grudges. We're not angry and bitter at other people. We don't let that seed get in. It destroys the church. It destroys your relationships. It prevents you from becoming what God wants you to be. You don't become a player for the kingdom of God. He'll bench you until you get it right. He has to because he's not going to get any glory out of one of his children behaving that way. And so in chapter 5, the key is to walk in love. And how do we do that? We try to imitate Jesus Christ, be imitators of Christ. What does that mean? Within uh, all of our work and our ministry, many times we see other people and we may try to imitate them. And as we imitate them, and as we get to know them, we realize they're human like us. And you can become disappointed. You can set yourself up. Now, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's true, and that is right. But we're to become imitators of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we want to learn about Jesus all we can. Who is he? How did he care for people? What would Jesus be doing in such a situation? It was great hearing from Wayne. I also heard from Wayne Fisher this morning early, time difference, but it was really good to hear from him. And he so appreciates the prayers. He's continuing. He's in John's gospel, chapter 12, and just trusting the Lord. And it's a great blessing to hear from him in that regard. One of the other pastors is on a plane today. He's headed to Belize. And in Belize, there's a Calvary chapel there and a significant work and One of their newsletters that I just received this morning is, remember those Samaritan boxes, the ministry, the boxes that went out for Christmas? This pastor at their church, they received 85 of those boxes. And uh, he said, according to this, that because of that, many of the kids come back to church for Sunday school. And he says, now we have probably uh, around 30 of them have come back on Sunday, sometimes up to 50. Because of those gifts. Remember those gifts you put in boxes? And we don't know where the boxes went from our fellowship, but they went to a destination like this. What does that mean? It means that somebody had a vision and said, you know, my work is I I want to get a blessing into the hands of people and children around the world in a simple way, in a box, things that would be a blessing to them. But we're going to put the gospel in there. We're going to put how to have a relationship with Jesus. And we're going to get them into countries that don't allow necessarily the Bible in. But we're going to get them in there, and they're going to get out. And what a blessing. And this pastor's heartbroken because according to him and the statistics in Belize, he's under the impression that about 80% of the girls and women there, 80% will at some point in their life be abused. And they're trying to minister to them right now. 
trying to help them. Again, what we're looking at is God is alive. His word is alive. He is powerful. I want to participate, Pastor. Can I? Sure. Be born again. You're called to be a workman. How do you do that? Well, you just experience the riches of Christ that he has for you. What's our work? Well, he already told us. He started this group gathering called the church. There's people all around the world. How do you do it? Well, you again, you receive Christ and you be filled with his Holy Spirit. And you begin to walk in a way that's worthy of being a citizen of the king. He will equip you through various ministries. He'll teach you. He'll train you. Everybody should be always full-time employed for the things of God. Remember, seek forgiveness. As the relationship with Christ started with forgiveness, the enemy wants to come in and create uh, division. So seek forgiveness. Be tenderhearted. And then just imitate Christ. And then in chapter 5 of Ephesians, verses 8 through 14, we want to walk in the light. And as you see, it says in verse 8 of chapter 5, you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And for me, this is where probably I have the greatest concern because Far too many Christians have yet to separate themselves from the love of the world. And they like to still walk in the shadows and in the darkness and not to be, to be distinctly separated from the darkness. So there's a real contradiction that's going on. Because of that contradiction of still favoring the world and trafficking in the world, and there's not a distinct difference that you no longer belong to the world. The world was to destroy you. You're not living in the light, and that contradiction takes place, and therefore your spiritual life is dormant. It is not alive. And we're looking for the relationship with Christ to be alive. Verse 11 says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And the current youthful culture is not receiving this word. The current youthful Christian culture is, is taking delight in living in darkness and partying in darkness and having fun in darkness. And they have all their reasons and all their excuses and they'll bring scriptures to mind. But the clear explanation from God's word is that you do not have any fruitful works. There's none. You maybe have some acquaintances and maybe you feel good and you justify yourself by taking care of some social issues or participate in some things. But... There is, in my opinion, a spiritual stronghold in the minds and the hearts and the thinking of our up-and-coming culture that has yet to say, I'm finished with this world. I lived in this world. I know how the world operates. I know, how it, I know all the dynamics of it. I'm not a part of that. Well, aren't you going to reach them for Christ? Yeah, you reach them for Christ by being in the light. The light is what reaches people. It's the light. It's the attraction. Well, you know, when I am in the light, they don't want to be around me. Good. Pray for them. Pray for them. Love them. Serve them. Because what's going to be attractive to our unbelieving friends is the light and the love and the power and the conviction that is in your life. That you operate differently. That you don't go and compromise at all. You stand firm. You're an example. And I believe and I pray and I hope that whatever way we as a ministry are missing it, 
in the training and teaching, any way that parents are missing it, then we need to awaken to this and to say, what is this about? And as you're leading your family through, and again, we're living in the world. We're not of it. We're not isolated. We move into the world. We need God's help. Amen? We need his help. We need prayer. But we need to take it to heart like never before. Look in verses 8 through 14. Again, it's kind of a survey this morning. We've covered a lot of this, but just we saw 8 through 14. We want to be fellowshipping in the light. Again, 15 through 21. In 15 through 21, the key yellow highlighted area I have is humble, humbly yielding. What does that mean? Look at verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. You know, that word submission... It is almost like a bad word in this culture. You speak of that word, and people are already on guard. You've got to be kidding. I love that word. That word is the most liberating word when you understand it. You know, submission is in play all the time. Submission, what is it? In a definition, submission is when you willfully volunteer to make a decision or a choice. So submission is your choice. When someone is forcing you to do something, that's not submission at all. So submission is your willful decision. You are all in submission today because you came down the guide, Meridian. And, of course, there's circles up that way, but there's signals that way. And if you're coming down and the signal was red, you willfully submitted to that signal. You stopped. You didn't have to. You could have went through. Could have been to your detriment or ticket, but you could have gone through. Agree? But you willfully Stopped. You willfully surrendered your movement. You stopped. You yielded. You surrendered. You submitted to that. Submission is in in play all the time. God's created order within his creation and within his human beings. And so the way it's going to work in relationships in verse 21 is there's a sense of humility where there's mutual submission taking place, mutually submitting, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? It means I don't want to get over on you. I don't want to use you. I don't want to take advantage of you. I don't want to work you over at all. I want you to know the love of God. I want to serve you. I want to care for you. I want to minister to you. It's absolutely changed because we have this relationship with God. I am his workman. And when we're making decisions, we realize that God is going to have the same mind for you and for me. I mean, what is God's will? We're going to seek God's will. The spirit of God is going to show us his will. We're not going to take 10 steps to find his will. We're going to humble ourselves and say, God, show us what you have in mind. Bring some scriptures to light if we need you know, godly counsel. You'll show us. You'll lead us. You're the shepherd. We're going to be excited about that. We look forward to that. Do you follow me? It's all good on that, right? Except verse 22, right? Okay. So when we look at verse 22... No, we're not taking an intermission. We're going to walk on right on this area. So look at verse 22. It says, and this is called walk and submission. So what we've had so far, walk worthy, walk love, walk light, walk wisdom, walk wisdom. You're saying, Pastor, you're doing great until now. Walk in submission. This is so important. Again, sometimes there's the thinking of submission as being somebody that's inferior in a relationship. Agree? There's that thought. You have to agree. That thought comes to mind. So turn over to the left to 1 Corinthians. This verse will just be such a blessing in answering this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
What we want to prove according to the scriptures, that submission is not inferiority. Okay? So, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. It says, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man. And the head of the church, or the head of Christ, is God. So if, if submission was inferiority, then this, is her- then this would be heresy. In other words, Christ isn't inferior to God the Father, is he? They're equal. They're absolutely equal. You understand this? You'll have to ponder it a little bit. You have to ponder it. The scripture is saying the, the, the Trinity is equal, but there's an order even within the Trinity that's there. So there's an order within our family. There's an order. There's equality, but there's an order that God has in mind. Now, for this to work and to understand that, really, the way that God has made a woman, God has made a woman, I don't care what position she may hold in society or whatever else, God has made a woman to want to be loved, want to be protected, and want to be known. That's how he's made a woman, within her heart. That's what she wants. Now, our society has caused great damage in relationships because of just a lot of brokenness more than ever before. So then a woman will become defensive and protective. They just develop mechanisms not to get hurt, not to get stepped on, not to be taken advantage of. And so then when we come to the verse 22, there's a sense of resentment in that. But when it's done God's way, every woman would delight to be loved the way that God would want her to be loved by her husband. She would have great delight in that. She's made that way. God's made her that way. And so when we look at this scripture and the reason it becomes confrontational today is because, again, the sadness of all the brokenness and not understanding that. And the reason many times when we see the different movements that have taken place with women, it's because the men have not moved in the direction that God's called us to do. Submission is very liberating. It is very freeing to know that your husband, women, is going to take care of you. When we were early, early, in our early years of marriage, there was one year we lived across the street from Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. I was in sales down in that area. We were attending Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, and we just had little Jamie at that time. And there was a situation regarding Pam's father that... Uh, he was living with uh, the woman and not married to her and Jamie, and we're going to go out to visit, and we were uncomfortable with that situation. And so my wife was really wrestling how to speak to her dad regarding that situation. And I was praying for her regarding that conversation. But it wasn't resting within her heart. So she actually went over to Costa Mesa and talked to one of the pastors while I was at work. It was all good. I had no problem with that. But when I came home, it was like this major breakthrough. And I thought, wow, the Holy Spirit has visited her. 
has given her great courage now to move ahead with this conversation with her father. And she sat me down and she says, I was over talking to the pastor and what they said is this, Tom, you get to talk to my dad. I said, you know those Calvary Chapel pastors, you can't, you know. Let's go find another one. There's got to be one that thinks like I think. And she was just extremely delighted with that. And, you know, I'm making the phone call, you know, her. Yeah, easy, yeah. Why don't you? I'll do this. Okay. And that's just an, a one illustration of moving things into the right order and seeing the blessing of that. And it was a blessed phone call. We love her dad, and they ended up getting married pretty much right away. And they have been married now for 20, 30 years now. And he even mentioned it on our last trip about that conversation that I got to have with him. (laughs) (laughs) You see, in the relationship, I don't know, and and Pam, maybe in talking to her, she, she might be aware, but I'm not really aware of any situation where I just steamrolled her and she needed just to tag along. I I don't see that that's the way God works. I think that there's been many times we just have to wait because God wants to bring a sense of unity about those decisions. And when my wife says, you know something? I am totally with you. What decision you need to make, I'm with you on that decision. Because sometimes when you move ahead, you're going to have to make that, but we're together on whatever way to go, we're together on that. Sometimes, unfortunately, wives will say, I can't do that. I mean, my husband, if if I just do this, if I just trust him like this, I mean, we'll lose everything. Then lose everything. Trust him. God's in control. Give you everything back. Just trust him. See, again, it's the way also that God has made a woman is not, God has made you in such a way, even though that is the greatest blessing, but also there's a sense of resistance towards that, doing that. There's a resistance, just in putting there's a resistance towards that. There's a stubbornness towards that, and it has to be broken through. So for me, when it talks about husbands and surrender, I love my wife. I, I tell her I love her many, many times a day, I believe, at least. A few times. So, <laughs> I love her. And, and I try to demonstrate that to her. But for me, to really fulfill what God has commanded me to do as a husband and as a lover leader, it is a love that is more sacrificial than I want to be. It goes against me in that realm. It's more sacrificial than I want to be. You relate to guys, and it's just like, so how's it going? Great. Get it done? Good. Okay, let's go, man. Let's do that. Now, if I come home, no, I'm not even going to go there. It's not going to work. There's a whole other strategy of how to understand, and and really, I'm too impatient to understand. I don't take time to understand. Just tell me. What's on your mind? Just tell me. I mean, I asked Ike what's on his mind. He just said in three minutes, he told me everything. Tell me what's on your mind. I'm impatient. It, it, again, to follow God's way, it works against my flesh. But to do it God's way is the only way to do it, which means I need to become very patient. For example, 
in, early on in the ministry when maybe I was at a men's retreat or speaking at one and, and coming home and I'd been away for two or three days and she had the younger, the kids were young at that time and she was with them all that time and she was so excited when I came home. So when I would come home and she was just excited just to learn and she had to go. It was so good. Really, tell me about it. Well, you know, there's a couple hundred guys. First night, there was like eight that gave their life to the Lord. Saw a couple people you knew. That was really fun. Food was okay, you know, as it normally is. But uh, really, it went really smooth. It, went, it, went, it was such a blessing. Uh, it, was, it was really great. Did anyone call while I was gone? What? You mean you're gone for three days. I've been with the three kids all those days. And you come home, and I'm waiting to hear. And in less than a minute, you told me about your thing, and you're done. And you want to know what was happening, any mail, any phone calls, anything like that. So pretty much, why? Is there a problem with that? <laughs> Again, that's, that's self, right? And, and she has trained me well. <laughs> I take notes now when I'm away. I come home. You would have loved the kitchen. The tablecloths they had out there, they were black and white. They got flowers in the middle, chairs around. There were six chairs around each table. And I count them. There was 45 tables in this room. It was so good. And um, the food, I want to tell you about the food and how they prepared the food and how it came. Now, the first night, and so I have to really work at that. And that's not, you know, just I have to work at that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. So there's two things that God has put in place, submission and surrender, and it goes against our nature. And we put our heels in. <clears throat> and then we wonder, why aren't we getting along in the marriage? Well, pretty much as soon as you start submitting, you know, it, it'll work out good. I mean, the Lord showed me that. You know, I'm the leader after all, right? Yeah, yeah well, I don't know where the Lord's leading you, but uh, I don't think it's through the throne of grace. <laughs> So when we're looking at the dynamics of relationships and we see what God has laid out for us and we want to be these people, these people of faith, these workers of faith, then it's going to take what God has for us. I mean, there's been times, don't forget, I mean, we've been doing this for a long time. But things could get so frustrating that, and I'm not responding, that I pick up a message at the phone it's my wife. Yeah, hi. If there's a pastor there named Tom that I might be able to talk to sometimes, is it possible to get an appointment with him? I really would like to visit with him. I'm exaggerating. But anyways, things if you let things go, it becomes frustrating because I'm not taking the initiative to understand, to know, to love, to take care, and to be concerned for. I'm not taking that initiative. And then she's going to respond with what I'm looking for is respect. Just a little bit. R-E-S. I don't know how to spell it. <laughs> But just a little bit. And that's what she's called to do. Notice verse 33. See to it that the wife respects her husband. These are the dynamics. And God is so gracious that he has kept it that simple for us. So for me, I just need to know, surrender, discover, take time, understand, love like Jesus loves. Submit, yield to my husband, show him respect. We come together in the unity of the Holy Spirit. We're able to pray. Our prayers aren't hindered. We're able to do what he has for us to do. As the worship team comes forward today, it's interesting. Here's a letter from our friends in India. In India, 
what is the leader there, our pastor leader there? He's saying, we've been bombarded by spiritual attacks, relational issues, emotional conflict. But he says, thank God for the prayers in the excellent time of ministry. He says, I've been able to share the cross as the central theme in our lives. We've been able to give a message, keeping, uh, keep trusting God in times of trials and unanswerable questions. Just keep trusting God. So what we've done this morning is come together and saying, Lord, we want to walk your way. We want to walk with you.